Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. It is a Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. These questions coming from our Football Insider subscribers, Mary Kay. Let's get right to it. And I want to start with this one. Dennis Blackburn from Tampa, Florida uh, says, Hey, Mary Kay, love your coverage of the Browns. This is a hard question for him to ask. Although it's not really that tough of a question, but Tough question for him to ask. Um, He says, hey, Mary Kay, why is there such a difference between the outlook we as readers get from you, Dan, and Ashley as contrasted to national media regarding the Browns? Who am I to believe? Well, Dennis, first of all, you should always believe us. But there is always that disconnect between national and local. Why, Why do you think that is? Well, I think, first of all, Sometimes when you are in the thick of it and you're covering a team, you almost can't see the forest for the trees sometimes. And sometimes you are, you know, just a little too close to the situation and you start to uh, maybe see things a little differently than some people from the outside looking in see it. So that's one possibility. Another one is the fact that, um, and I think that uh, me and, and you and Ashley all agree on this, that there hasn't been buy-in from the national media yet because of the Deshaun Watson situation. And I've said this many times. It's, uh, you know, for our purposes, we have had to run it back to football. We've had to go back now and, and say, okay, he paid his dues. He, he went through uh, the counseling and the treatment program. He served his 11-game suspension. Now we have to go out to practice every day, and it can't be about his off-the-field issues. We have to run it back to football. And so I think that um, I think that's another thing. I don't know that the national media is ready to do that yet. It's not popular. It is not popular to write about Deshaun Watson, the football player. I can tell you that from firsthand experience. Dan, I'm sure you've had the same experience, and I'm sure Ashley has too. When we write about him as a football player, we get a lot of grief and backlash on that. Um, and so I don't know that some of the national media are prepared to do that yet. I think that some of them still want to, um, you know, kind of ride out the the off the field stuff and see how that all plays out. Uh, he does still have two pending lawsuits. And in the minds of a lot of people, this thing is nowhere near over yet. But again, uh, for our purposes, we have to go cover football. We, we have a football team to cover because that's our job. We are sports writers. We're not court writers. We're not cops writers. We're, 
we're sports writers. And so we are back to covering the nuts and bolts of football. And of course, Deshaun is a huge part of that. So I think there are a combination of factors. Um, but I, you know, I do think when, when we look at this roster, we see a lot of talent and we see, uh, you know, upgraded coordinators. We see, you know, a completely overhauled defense. We see four new pass catchers. We see Deshaun Watson looking really good in his new scheme and with his new supporting cast. So I, you know, I think, I think we see it a little bit differently than the others are. I also think there's something to, you know, being around it constantly and just having, you know, knowing more about the team and the roster and kind of the, the people on, I was thinking about this today, like a guy like Marquise Goodwin, right? We've written about Marquise Goodwin. We've talked to Marquise Goodwin. We've covered all angles of Marquise Goodwin. I bet there's people on, on you know, there's probably national reporters who aren't in the AFC North or aren't around, you know, haven't looked at all the rosters who are like, oh, Marquise Goodwin's a Brown. You know, like that would surprise them. And then maybe they wouldn't even think about the impact he could have on this team. Whereas because we're there every day, we're, we're looking at stuff. It's it's little things like that. I mean, I, I certainly couldn't tell you who like the Marquise Goodwin of the LA Chargers is right now. <laughs> you know, I just think being so close to it kind of gives you a different perspective than somebody who's looking at all 32 teams and kind of looking more on the surface of all 32 teams. And, and there's probably four or five other players we could look at in the, on this roster and say, you know, Obo Okoronkwo, we know more about him than somebody who, you know, is doing national coverage for like ESPN or USA Today or whatever. Yeah, that's very true. And when you look at a team's record from the previous year, I think that weighs heavily in the minds of a lot of people. So you look at a 7-10 and 10 record, and I think it's a lot of, it's very hard for some people on the outside to think, oh, geez, they're going to win 11 games this year. Uh, if you don't really dig into it and drill down into it and figure out what went on in the offseason, why did they go 7-10 and 10 last year? I also think that if you look at Deshaun Watson's last six games last year, it's very easy to say, oh, he's just not the same quarterback he used to be. I think that that's another key aspect of it. Uh, but two of the games were kind of throwaway games, you know, the Houston game and the Saints game. Uh, you know, those, those were sort of throwaway games for, for different reasons. And he did not have a large body of work. And then also, I don't know that the players around him made as quick of an adjustment to him as we thought they might. Um, in addition to that, the talent level wasn't what it is now. I mean, you have significantly upgraded his receiving court. So I think that had a lot to do with it too you know, where he was throwing to a young guy that might not have been ready for, you know, a no-look pass or a sight adjustment or a scramble drill or whatever, um, you know, that's going to be different this year. So I I think that he will fare much better when he's got more experienced guys out there. Okay, let's move on to a question from Dave Barnes in Richmond, Virginia. Hey, Mary-Kate, from what you've experienced with the guys on the roster so far, which players do you think can step up and take some of that vocal leadership that's been lacking in the past? I know Jim Schwartz will hold the D accountable and Bubba Ventrone will keep special teams in check, but it always seems to be more meaningful when leadership comes from the players' peers. Yeah, I think so too. I think player leadership is vitally important. I remember asking Mike Singletary, uh, the Hall of Fame linebacker from the Bears, about the Bears winning the Super Bowl, and he said player leadership was the key. That was the 100% key. Talent doesn't get you there. 
you've got to have so many other things. And that was the number one thing he cited. And that really stuck with me. And I really do think that um, they've added some better leaders to the team this year, or at least some vocal leaders. So one of those is Zadarius Smith. I think Zadarius Smith is going to uh, really be a leader on that defensive line. You could already see it during minicamp that he just has a, a very strong presence. He's very engaging. He's very interactive with his teammates. I think he's one. I think Juan Thornhill is another. I think in some ways, uh, you know, he's a lot like John Johnson three in that regard. Very vocal, uh, you know, very interactive. You just know he's out there. Um, so I think Juan Thornhill will play that role. I think Rodney McLeod, uh, he's a little bit quieter, but he will play that role just based on the fact that he has been to a Super Bowl and he's played for Jim Schwartz for five years. Uh, Mike Ford is a run through the wall kind of guy on special teams. I think that he's going to bring some much needed leadership to that aspect of the game. And then, you know, we've talked a lot about how this is a very quiet receiving core and it is a very quiet receiving core, but I think they added some guys now with a little bit of flair to them. I think Elijah Moore has a little something to him like that. I think Marquise Goodwin, as you mentioned, has a little something to him. Cedric Tillman, even though he's young, once he gets the lay of the land, I think he'll probably be a little bit more vocal than some of what we have seen in that room so far. Um, so these are some of the guys. Obo, uh, Obo Okoronkwo is a, a very vocal player. So I, I think you're going to see some things uh, this year in, t in terms of guys rallying the troops that we haven't seen as much in previous years. Ultimately, when it comes to, to player leadership, how important is it that the like the best players kind of embrace those roles? I mean, we like we know the quarterback just has to be a leader. You can't be a franchise quarterback and not be a leader. That's just not possible. But like, you know, so obviously Deshaun Watson, but like a guy like Miles Garrett, um, Denzel Ward, uh, you know, Amari Cooper, you know, some of the guys who are like the best in it, you know, Joel Batonio has, has, I think, established himself as, as a guy who's a leader. Just the guys who are like the best in their rooms. How, how important is it for those guys to kind of take that on as well? I think it's very, very important. I really do. I think when you look at a Miles Garrett, that he's got to be, uh, he, he's got to be one of the best leaders on the team. And Jim Schwartz, when we had his introductory press conference, he talked about that. He said, I intend to have my best players also be my best leaders. He knows how important that is. You want to be able to look up to your best guys and follow their lead and make sure that you're doing the, the kinds of things that they do to get to Pro Bowls and to help this team get over the hump and get into those playoffs. So I think it's vitally important. The thing about it is though, not all of those guys are vocal guys. Amari Cooper's not a vocal guy. Denzel Ward, not necessarily a vocal guy, but you don't always have to just be vocal to be a leader. Sometimes you can set the tone with your uh, intensity in practice, with your work ethic. So there are other ways to lead besides, you know, being boisterous and loud. Um, but I think this year now they have a nice mix of some of those kinds of guys but also guys who will, um, you will be able to know that they are out there on the field. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to be Jarvis Landry standing in front of the room giving a speech on hard knocks. It, it can just simply be like you're going to show up early and you're, you know, you're going to show young guys exactly the kind of work they need to do and kind of just lead them along. It, you know, you don't have to yell and scream and kick over 
Gatorade buckets and, and stuff like that. I mean, I guess if that's what you want to do, that's fine. But there, there are different styles of leadership, to be sure. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that it seems like they've added guys almost at, at every level or, of the defense and some levels of the offense. But, you know, they've added a number of guys along the way uh, so that each room has been spiced up a little bit. And, I, you know, I think that will help. I really do think it will help. Now, not necessarily at the linebacker um, spot, although Matt Adams is in there. That's a, that's a new guy. Uh, that they have. But, um, but I think, you know, for the most part, if you're talking, you know, defensive backs, defensive line, a little bit of linebacker, everywhere you look, you have, you know, someone new willing to kind of take the bull by the horns a little bit. All right, let's move on to this question. This one is going to be a little bit of a thinker. Tom from Middlebury, Connecticut. Hey, Mary Kay. Given all the talent on the offensive side of the ball, is there a player or position where in week six the fans are going to be asking to see asking to see that player get the ball more? Oh, that's a really that is a really good question. It's, um, it's a tough one. Yeah, it, it's a tough one. I mean, instinctively, the first thing that came to my mind was Elijah Moore, but I already think he's probably going to be getting the ball a lot. So I I don't know. I mean, that's almost too easy. Why don't I go with somebody like a Jordan Akins? Um, That's a little bit less obvious because I think we all expect that, hey, Elijah Moore was their big offensive offseason acquisition. Jordan Akins flew under the radar, but I think he has the potential uh, to do some really cool things this year. I think uh, that Deshaun Watson feels really comfortable with him, uh, and I think that he will be used a lot as a receiver I think those guys already have some natural chemistry. So I'm going to go with Jordan Aikens, not as obvious as the Elijah Moore answer. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I'm looking through the roster right now to see. Let's go with a young guy. What about a Cedric Tillman? Mm -hmm. Like, could you see him scoring? Maybe he scores a touchdown in the red zone in like week four and, you know, makes a couple of nice catches early on in the, in the season but maybe he's not getting on the field as much as people want, or maybe he's more of a situational guy. And I, I could see maybe him, him being a guy as well that, Hey, let's, let's get Cedric Tillman on the field. Let's see more of him. Yeah, I could see that too. I mean, they drafted him uh, in the third round. Uh, they did so in large part because he was that big body receiver. So he gives you something different, a different element than what you already have on your receiving core. And so therefore there will be games in which, uh, just by virtue of his size and the matchup mismatches they think they can create, he's going to get on the field. And then it's up to him what he does with his targets. So I could see that. I, he does seem uh, like a pretty polished receiver. The moment doesn't seem too big for him, and he's played against high-level competition in the SEC. So I could see that, Dan. That's a really good one. Okay, let's take a break, and then when we come back, we've got some more questions on our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. And welcome back to the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Hey, Mary Kay edition here on a Monday. This comes uh, from Russ in Portsmouth, Ohio. It kind of goes a little bit with the question uh, that we just had, a player that Browns fans really liked, probably wanted to see the ball more, who is no longer a Cleveland Brown. Uh, Hey, Mary Kay, why would the Browns move on from Dearness Johnson for someone like Demetric Felton when the cap hit difference wasn't that much? They obviously preferred Johnson the last couple of years. So here we go. A Dearness Johnson question, Mary Kay, in June. 
2023. Who knew? Yeah, I think, and we all like Dearness Johnson. I mean, he was a great guy to oh, have around, sure. right? I mean, he's got a great story. Uh, I think more so than anything, uh, you know, he got sort of into a price range where, you know, you don't need to pay a couple of million dollars to a Dearness Johnson. They don't, they don't really need to do that. Uh, they can get someone uh, for less money. And, you know, you need to save those millions of dollars here and there. When you can save one or even $2 million here and there, uh, you have to try to do that now with uh, what's going on with Deshaun's contract and Miles Garrett's contract and all that sort of thing. So um, I think it was more so the fact that they could get someone else. You could even draft someone. You can get someone uh, in free agency where you just aren't going to have to pay them, you know, $2.4 million dollars or whatever the case may be. So um, I think it was time. I think it was time to move on. And um, and I, I do still think they will sign someone else. They'll bring someone else in. Uh, unless unless Demetri Felton says, no, it's going to be me. I'm going to be the third uh, back on this football team. And you don't need to go get someone else. You know, this is his chance to do that. Um, but other than that, I still th- see them adding someone pretty soon. And the reality is, like, it, you know, we know Andrew Barry's draft philosophy. We know he wants to draft and develop guys. And at some point, you do just need to hand things over to guys, um, whether it's, you know, they tried to do it with Jacob Phillips last year, for example. Um, and now, you know, I, th- I think we were all a little surprised to Ernest Johnson stuck around for the year, the extra year he did last year. But he ended up coming back and there wasn't really much of a role for him. And now you've got to at some point, if you're going to invest all this draft capital and development time at some point, you got to hand the keys to a guy like a Jerome Ford and you've got to see what Demetric Felton can do. And so I, I think that's, that's part of it too. And for Dearness, I'm sure he wants to kind of get out and spread his wings a little bit and see if he can find a, a better opportunity somewhere uh, to, to maybe establish himself as, you know, more than like a number three back, which is what he was here. Yeah. I think he can be a legitimate number two back. Some teams might even use him as as a pretty good changeup with you know with their lead back and give him uh, some carries and keep their top guy fresh. Uh, so I I think he can be a legitimate number two for someone, and he just wasn't going to be that here. Like you said, Jerome Ford was ready to step up into that role. They want to see what he can do. Uh, they believe he can catch the ball out of the backfield, uh, that he can run and get some of those tough yards. You know, he's unproven at this level for sure. So he, he's got to actually go out there and do it. Uh, but in, in the event he can't do it, running back is a pretty easy position to go out and find. It's not a premium position, especially when you're running behind this offensive line. They're so good that, you know, you can be, uh, you know, a Dearness Johnson and go out there and still get 100 yards. So I do think that, um, you know, that they will find someone. And, and I do think that they will give Jerome Ford every opportunity to prove that, that he was well worth that fifth round pick. All right. Next question here comes from Jay in Canton. Hey, Mary Kay. I think it's safe to say that Deshaun Watson and Nick Chubb are the two most important offensive weapons for the Browns this year. Both are very talented, but do you feel their games gel together? Watson likes to see the defense and seems comfortable in the shotgun or pistol while Chubb seems to do better when he gets ahead of steam. How are Kevin and AVP going to make it work this season? You know, I think they've worked really hard to make sure that their their offense, their blocking schemes, their passing game incorporates Nick Chubb. I think 
that um, Deshaun Watson, he talks about Nick Chubb, you know, with the respect that Nick deserves. He understands what he means to this team and to this offense. And I think they're going to incorporate Nick Chubb, uh, you know, not just in the running game, uh, but also more so in the passing game. We heard Stump Mitchell say that during minicamp that Nick's going to get the ball out of the backfield more and he thinks he can have a thousand yards receiving. I mean, that would be something. Um, so I, I just think that everyone understands and realizes the importance of Nick and they're going to find a way to make it work. And I, I think it will work. Okay. I love Stump, but I missed this. Did he really predict Nick Chubb would have a thousand yards receiving? <laughs> yes. He did. Okay. Stump, I love you. It's your job to hype guys <laughs> up. Good for you, I guess. Yep. But but I, I will say, we saw we did see a good amount of, of Nick Chubb in the passing game. So I don't think he's going to have 1,000 yards receiving, but he certainly should be a, a big part of this passing game based on what we saw in the spring. Yeah, I think so. And the interesting thing about that is then, you know, how much does Jerome Ford play? How many touches will he get? If Nick is serving more of that role, then, you know, how are they going to, to divvy this whole thing up? And then also, I often wonder what, you know, what about those goal line? You know, what, what about on the goal line? You know, I mean, that was sort of Kareem Hunt's territory. And, you know, now Nick is going to have to do that, too. So could be a really, really big year for Nick to do some things that he hasn't done all that much of in the last few years. I do think Nick can function in, you know, if there is more shotgun and there will be and, you know, more pistol, I, I think Nick can function in all of that. Um, I, I just think he's a really talented player and he's, he's a good patient runner. That offensive line is so good. You know, you talked about it when we were talking about Dearness. I, I think you could put Nick 30 yards behind the line of scrimmage and throw the ball back to him. And he'd rush for 1500 yards this season. You know, I, I think he'd be, he's fine. However you want to use him you can use him and he'll be fine. He's just Nick Chubb. I, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think the, you know, the running game is going to be more eclectic this year. Um, so not only will you have Nick running and Jerome Ford running, but you're going to have, and we've seen some of this, but you're going to see Elijah Moore uh, do some, some running. You're going to see Deshaun Watson do plenty of it. So I think it's going to be just a little bit different than what we've seen in the past. You'll see, uh, a little bit more of a creative running attack. And, and I also think because, you know, we've talked up Jerome Ford, obviously, but still it's, it's not Kareem Hunt. So how, how much do you see Jerome Ford? How much do they, re- I don't know if he's going to get used quite as much as Kareem got used because Kareem was, maybe I'm wrong, but Kareem was just so talented and so good. And like, you had to have Kareem on the field in different ways. I, you know, I think that maybe creates some more opportunities for Nick as well. Yeah, I'm very anxious to see how that goes. Very anxious to see because, again, when you talk to Stump and he talks about Nick um, and the fact that he's going to get the ball out of the backfield more, you do wonder where Jerome is going to get those touches. Um, So I'm very anxious to see how that goes. And then, as you mentioned, Demetric Felton, I I caught up with him for a few minutes at the um, softball game on Saturday. He's really excited to be just back at running back, um, focusing on that position instead of being at receiver where he's been most of the time for the past couple of years. And he thinks that he can excel. He's confident that if he had to go in and and be the lead back in a game, he could go get that 80 yards or go get that hundred yards if you need it. Um, And again, he's versatile enough to go in there and catch the ball out of the backfield, split out wide and do some different things. So 
Um, the combo of Jerome Ford and Demetric Felton. Now, Demetric is a bubble guy, but as long as he makes the team, I think you can do some creative things with those guys. Okay, Gary M. from Bowling Green, Kentucky. Hey, Mary Kay, I'm not worried about the pass rush, but how is Jim Schwartz's defense set up to stop the run? Well, 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 that's a good question, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's almost like, from everything that we've heard, it's basically, you know, affect the pass and and we're going to worry about the run almost on a little bit of a, a secondary basis. Um, but of course, you know, you never, it never really quite works out like that. You know, you have to be able to stop the run. It was a major issue last year. And, you know, I think by virtue of, um, how they play up front and how disruptive they're going to be, uh, I, I still think that that will have a profound impact on the run. And then they've added some guys, uh, that, that should be able to help stop the run like Dalvin Tomlinson, like Siaki Ika, um, you know, you've got guys like that up there that should be able to do that. Um, Oboe is going to have to be able to set the edge. You know, they've got some mobile quarterbacks that they're going to have to contend with. And then the linebackers are there to clean up the mess. And so whatever goes on in front of them, you know, they're there to make sure that, you know, the backs don't get beyond them. And so, you know, we'll have to see how this works out. I mean, Jim Schwartz always has really good defenses. Um, And, you know, this year, the Ravens might not be as run-oriented as they have been in the past. So, you know, it it might not be quite as imperative to be able to set the edge and stop the run, although, I mean, it always will be. And the game is cyclical, you know. I mean, every time you think it's time uh, to maybe, like, forget about the run a little bit, it comes back into vogue. So they will have to do it. I think they have the horses to be able to. And I think, you know, that chaos that the defensive line creates isn't just focused on the, the pass game. You know, it's it's going to make things hard on, on running backs, especially if you're creating a little more pressure up the middle. Um, but, uh, you know, it's going to be big for the linebackers to be able to, to shoot those gaps and just slow guys down and make sure a Dalvin Tomlinson can get over there and make a play and, uh, you know, just serve as that, that support behind the defensive line. Um, so it's, it's about not letting those guys get ahead of steam and then the linebackers coming in and cleaning it up. I, I think I think Jim's scheme of just kind of chaos everywhere. It's it's not just quarterbacks. I think it's running backs too. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And um, the the interesting thing that I think is going to happen is that it it will probably be a little bit of a work in progress for the guys to be able to figure it all out and to know exactly where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there and just, and to sort of get that, you know, natural feel for how all the pieces and parts on this completely overhauled defense are going to fit together. Um, But as we've talked about so many times before, they don't have time on their side. I mean, they, you know, they've got to be ready for Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow and the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Titans in the first four weeks of the season. And that's a lot. Those are very tall orders. And, um, you know, so for, for JOK or, you know, the linebackers to sort of try to figure out, you know, where they need to be and how they need to be there, uh, you know, once again, they have to be on point right from the start. Okay, a couple more, and they aren't exactly on the field football related. This comes from Charlie Morris in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, Charlie is thinking of the really important stuff. Hey, Mary Kay, do you know of any plans to name the new mascot? And do you think they should? And of course, we're talking about that new 
fan created mascot that they rolled out as the new new official dog pound mascot. Um, I don't think he has a name. I don't know if there's plans to name him, but maybe maybe we should come up with one. What about Swagger? <laughs> uh, yeah, that one carries a little baggage, I think. Um, yeah. I, so yeah. There were two, when I was looking through the questions, there were two that popped in my mind. And they're both former Browns quarterbacks. And they also are good dog names. Bernie and Otto. Okay. Very interesting. Okay. I, I could see it. And, I don't know. Human names on dogs always work. Oh yeah. I like human names on dogs for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if they have plans to name the new dog logo. I, I don't know. We'll have to, we'll see if we can find that out for the next pod. I'm sure it'll be another fan vote somehow. They'll just put the name out there and it'll be some, some kind of fan vote. Okay. So this is the, uh, this is the other question and it has to do um, with training camp and i've got to find it here there we go uh it comes from john s york john s in york pennsylvania hey mary Kay, are you dan and ashley going to the Greenbrier? and if so will you drink the sulfur water and visit the bunker i i actually don't know what either of those things mean to to be honest with you but yes we will all in some shape or form we will be at the Greenbrier at some point uh during the two weeks there uh, or not quite two weeks there, that the, the Browns will be at the Greenbrier. Eight days, is it 10 days, whatever it is. So uh, yes, we will all at some point be at the Greenbrier. And I guess I'll find out what they mean by the sulfur water in the bunker. Well, I'm surprised you haven't heard about the bunker yet, Dan, because every time I bring up the word the Greenbrier, somebody tells me more and more about the bunker. So I'm very excited to see the bunker. It's down below uh, under the Greenbrier, and it is a... Um, I mean, it, it's a, a safe haven for for politicians and for, uh, you know, for the president of the United States or for, you know, politicians and uh, important dignitaries to be safe in in times of, of trouble. And you can actually go in and you can tour it. Now, I'm a little worried I'm going to get stuck down in there and you're going to try to be taping the podcast someday and nobody can find me. So come and look for me in the bunker, Dan, if you can't find me, because I'm going to go visit it. See, I get a little claustrophobic and stuff like that. I, I think that stuff is cool, but I always do get a little like claustrophobic touring things like bunkers and like caves or, you know, there's that that ship on uh, it's by the Great Lakes Science Center. We did we did that one day when we were at the Great Lakes Science Center with the kids. And it's a little claustrophobic when you start to kind of move around inside there. So there's some thunder as well. See, that's, like, that's the other, like, if you're in the wow. bunker and it starts to storm, I don't know. We'll see. I'll, yeah. I'll do it if I'm there. But um, if I get the opportunity to. But, yeah, I, I get a little claustrophobic and stuff like that. Yeah. And um, as far as the water, I did not know about the water. Um, that I didn't know, but I'm a, a very big bottled water person as it is. So I doubt I will be drinking the local water. Um, I would think that um, I will probably be bringing my own water or purchasing it while I'm there. So I will be down in the bunker drinking my own spring water probably. 
Yeah, see, well, that's that's what the Marriott marketplace is for. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't get to stay at the Greenbrier, but uh, we no. we will be we will be at the Greenbrier, taking a look at the bunker and and all of that stuff, trying the sulfur water, uh, and whatever else, whatever other opportunities are are out there for us at the Greenbrier. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. All those questions came from our football insider subscribers, Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page uh, to get info and get signed up for that. Uh, Start thinking about it now with training camp coming up, the Greenbrier. uh, First day out there is July 22nd. We are under a month from uh, the Browns opening training camp all of a sudden. So if you want to become a football insider subscriber, now is the time. And also get subscribed to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And also uh, check out our YouTube channel. Just search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com on YouTube to get subscribed to that. Uh, Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.